Welcome to the 29th episode of the Head Kick Kale podcast. Today we're taking a look at UFC Fight Night Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font. And after that, we're going to touch base on some other important things that have happened inside the UFC recently. And we're going to end by looking forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Chavzinho Rosenstrike and Augusto Sakai. But before we get into that, make sure you go and follow my other social medias, which are Twitter and TikTok. If you like this podcast, you should like both of those. I post a lot of MMA related content on both of those and you can find me there which is my username is just the headkit ko podcast so that's how you find me so go follow me on both of those so to get started rob font versus cody garbrandt this fight coming into this i was very intrigued by this because we heard a lot about new cody and how a calm cody would be one of the most dangerous fighters in the 135 pound division and I still think that's true. And we saw a calm Cody in this fight. But that was overshadowed by the great performance that we saw from Rob Font. Rob Font looked incredible. He took all the shine in this fight. And he did that mostly with his jab. He was using a very good jab. And he had a big reach and big size advantage to Cody in this fight. I mean... If you look at Rob Font, he doesn't look like a 135-pounder. Kelvin Cater, one of his teammates, has said that Rob Font is bigger than him. And Cody has said that he could easily cut down to 125. So I think this is uh, important to note because Rob Font had that size advantage over Cody, and he used it perfectly. He threw a lot of jabs, and he was able to locate that jab and He was very accurate with it all night, and he was hitting Cody with that jab all night long. And he was behind that jab, he was throwing a lot of right hands, which were also connecting. He was hitting a lot on one-twos. You know, hitting with the right hand after he connects with the jab, that was his most successful thing that he did all night. And once he found success with it, he kept doing it which is good. A lot of times we see guys find success with something and then they begin to shy away a little bit. Rob Font found success with a jab following it with the with the right hand and he stuck with it all night and he used that to push him forward to a victory here. Very impressive performance. Um, and with that being said, Cody is in an interesting spot as well because I don't think he is in as bad of a spot as many people are claiming. A lot of people are trying to say that Cody's washed. Cody's not washed. He just ran into a better fighter on that day. Cody Garbrandt is still a top five fighter, top 10 at absolute worst at 135 pounds, which is a very talented division. And just because you can't beat Rob Font, that doesn't mean you're you're on the way out. Look at uh, Marlon Marais, his fight with Rob Font. I mean, Rob Font finished that early. Cody went all five rounds, and Cody proved he had a chin. I wasn't bullish on the idea that Cody didn't have a chin. I just felt like he was... I always felt like Cody was ignoring defensive things that he needed to do that resulted in him getting more hit more often than he needed to be hit. And he was hit against Font, and he was hit hard, and that chin held up. He He got wobbled a couple times, but it was nothing... I don't think he was ever knocked down if my memory serves correct. So the chin is there for Cody, but he wasn't he wasn't offensive enough in terms of striking offense. He he looked to counter a lot. I would have liked to see him push forward. Rob Font did a great job of controlling this fight, controlling where it took place in the octagon. He was able to walk Cody down and lead with the jab, and that jab helped Font do that. And I think if Cody could have fought a little bit more on his front foot, he would have had a little bit more success. I'm not saying he could have won that fight doing that, but I think it would have helped. And he did. In the first round, he got some takedowns, and he did win the first round. But the first round was interesting because after the first round, I personally could tell that Font was going to win because you could just see... You could just see in the striking exchanges, it didn't look like Cody was incredibly comfortable. He was still, Cody still has incredibly fast hands, and his hand speed goes through all five rounds. That that carries in a fight. 
And while Cody was looking good on the feet, Font was looking better, and you could kind of tell with Cody looking for takedowns, he was getting very, very strongly executing these takedown attempts. He was hitting takedowns early, but that wasn't sustainable. And after that first round, you could kind of tell that it was going to be Font's night because Cody didn't really have much for him in the striking. Um, in the fifth round, Cody started to come around a little bit with more output, and he started to kind of, he almost won that fifth round. He started to come back a little. He, you know, Cody's always dangerous in terms of power, but he just wasn't able to get it done. And that, I, when I say that Cody wasn't able to get it done that night, I don't say that as a diss on Cody. I say that as Rob Font looked that good. I don't think this is a situation where Cody's, you know, wasn't impressive. I just think Font was better that night. And for Font, that leaves us an interesting question of what is next for Font. I think Font and Garbrandt, I, these two kind of, see, usually when I talk about what is next for a fighter, I always, I almost always talk about them separately, but I think we need to talk about them I think we need to talk about them together in this fight and what is next because they're they're kind of inter not interchangeable at all. Um, Rob Font obviously is closer to that title shot after a win. However, these two have some some of the same opponents you could book them against is is what I'm getting at here. We know that the title fight is going to be Sterling versus Jan. That is pretty much already set in stone. And then after that, we have Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. And the winner of that is likely going to get the next opportunity. I guess it depends how that fight goes. But if that fight is, if that fight is anything of what we expect it to be, and as long as it doesn't end in, say, a disqualification or an injury, or something uh, something like that, I think the winner of that is going to get that title shot, and I think most people would agree with me on that. I don't think I'm saying anything that is uh, that is groundbreaking or controversial there. But then that puts Font and Garbrandt in an interesting spot, because Font is at three, and he was at three before this fight, and then with a win, he doesn't move up at all, because you can't really put Font ahead of Corey Sanhagen. And for Cody, he's going to slide down a little, but you still have to throw Cody in there with some of the best guys in the world because he can still beat those guys. So I th you, can't, you can't really slide Cody too much here. And for Font, if he could possibly... it's He's a hard guy to book right now because you could... I think a, a smart match would be the loser of Sterling and Piotr Jan. But I don't think that fight is going to take place until October, November range. So do you want Font to sit out from May to 2022? I don't think so. I don't really want that. I think a more reasonable matchup would be the loser of Corey Sandhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. And that would depend on how they look. If we see, for example, TJ comes in and looks washed and Corey Sanhagen takes him out easily, then I wouldn't be as bullish on that idea. But if if this is a competitive fight between Sanhagen and Dillashaw, and then I think Rob Font would take the loser there, and then both of those guys could get into, they're already in title contention, but push themselves forward to get that title shot after the winner of Sanhagen and Dillashaw. And for Cody, he can kind of steal that fight from Font, in a way, because if Dillashaw loses, a lot of people are going to be calling for Garbrandt versus Dillashaw, and that's going to be a fight people are going to want. And then that would kind of steal that fight from Rob Font, and then who do you give Rob Font in that situation? Because if you're looking at the rest of the rankings, you have Aldo at five, who, but he, uh, we're going to touch on this in our news later, because this was just announced. Aldo is fighting Pedro Munoz, so... Aldo's not currently um, available to be booked. Some You can't book someone with Aldo right now. And I think if Aldo wins, you could make a case for Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. I think that would make sense in a way. 
You could also, if you want to give Rob Font the loser of Sanhagen versus Dillashaw, you could go Cody versus Aldo with an Aldo win, and that would make sense um, a little bit, not too much. But if Moonhouse wins, are you going to slide him up all the way to the top five and start giving him top five guys? I think so. I think he's that good, and I think a lot of people would agree. So if Moonhouse would win, I, I think a Cody fight would make sense. Again, a rematch between those guys. I know they already fought, but um, that wasn't the best version of Cody. That that could possibly be the best. The excuse me, that could poss- possibly be the worst version of Cody we've ever seen as him as a main event fighter, possibly in the UFC in general. Then you have Marlon and Frankie running around. I think a Garbrandt versus Marais fight could make sense right now. Frankie, I don't know what they're trying to do with Frankie. Um, that's really, I'm going to stay out of trying to book Frankie right now after the knockout he just had. And then you have Dominic Cruz at 9. I don't think they do Garbrandt versus Cruz. So basically, I've run through here. Um, pretty much just talked about every matchup you could make in the top 9. And the conclusion I've come to is this is not going to be an easy thing to do. There's only a handful of fights that make sense. This isn't like 155 or 145. Both those weight classes, you could pair those guys up and pretty much just throw it in there, and it's going to make sense somehow. 135 isn't like that because you have some aging guys, some guys who are peaking, some guys who are up-and-comers, some guys who have already fought each other. So it's kind of tougher to match them up. And I think that the UFC could get a good fight for Cody and Rob, but I think that would just be, uh, it'd be tough. And we might see one of these guys fighting someone that um, doesn't make too much sense on the surface right now. So now that we address that, let's move on to Carla Esparza versus Yao Xiaonan. This fight was very interesting to me. Because Yao Xiaonan is one of the better prospects in that female 115-pound division. And Carla went out there and dominated. I mean, she she got a 10-8 in the first round. Then in the second round, she got to a crucifix position and elbowed uh, Yan's face in. So, I mean... And this wasn't like, it's not like Yao Xiaonan is one of those up-and-coming strikers that can't stop a takedown. She has stopped takedowns in the past, and historically, she doesn't have incredibly poor takedown defense. Carla Esparza, on the other hand, has historically been a great wrestler, and she was able to go out there and get takedowns against someone who's not, it's not particularly easy to do it, to do that against. And I think this kind of threw a wrench in the plans at 115. And good for Carla Esparza for doing that. Because I'm not sure that Carla Esparza was in the UFC's long-term plan at 115. But by beating Yao Xiaonan, you kind of you kind of put a wrench in there. And you forced the UFC to, to give you a good booking. And this female 115-pound division is so wide open right now. I mean, you have Rose as a champion. You have, you still have Wei Li. You still have Ioana. You have Carlo. Just went out there and got a good win. I don't want to completely exclude Yao Xiaonan, but I think she needs to kind of... I think she's going to slide a little bit in the rankings. Um, rankings haven't came out yet. I'm filming this on Monday. Rankings come out on Tuesdays. I think she's going to slide. In my eyes, I think she slides down past six. And gets to the sixth spot. I I should say two six. And I think you're going to see Marina, Dern, Carla all move up one. Just based on what we've seen, it wasn't an over-competitive fight. In all three of the names I just mentioned, Esparza, Dern, and Rodriguez, Marina Rodriguez, have all looked really good in their most recent fights. So... I think that top five is wide open. I mean, Whaley and Joanna are obviously the big names. And then you have Dern and Rodriguez, who are the up-and-comers. Well, up-and-comers is... I don't really want to label both Dern and Marina Rodriguez as up-and-comers because I think they've proven to be more than that. But in terms of title contentions, they've never fought for a title before. So they're, they're they're kind of newer 
fighters who are very, very recently becoming title contenders, as I think is the best way to kind of describe them. And, you know, Rodriguez has been up there a little bit before. She's obviously fought, she fought Carla Esparza already. So she's not someone who, you know what, uh, the label, the label on these, on what we're going to call them, we don't necessarily need to give them a label. So let's just ignore that. But the facts are, it's going to be tough to figure out who exactly is going to get this title shot. Wei Lee wants the rematch. Joanna wants another fight against Rose. And I think the fight that would make the most sense is just booking Wei Lee versus Joanna. And then, yeah, this is tough. This is a tough, tough division to book too. I think Wei Lee versus Joanna makes sense because that was an interesting fight when we saw it the first time. Great fight. And... The winner earns a title shot. I don't like the idea of Wei Lee. Wei Lee defended the belt once. I don't know if that is... And then she got knocked out in the first round. So she won the title in great fashion versus Andrade with the first round knockout. She defends in a great fight against Joanna. And then she gets knocked out in the first round against Rose. So I'm not sure that you can necessarily just give Wei Lee that rematch. Um, and with Joanna, she lost to Wei Lee, and she hasn't fought since. So I have a tough time giving Joanna that fight against Rose as well. And there's no clear top fighter here. Do you give it to Carla Esparza? I mean, there were talk that she was going to get this fight uh, because Rose didn't want it. So there was talks about Carla versus Wei Li. Um, I'm not sure. I don't necessarily... Yeah, I just pulled up a record, and she's won five in a row. Wins over, wins over Yao Xiaonan, Marina Rodriguez, Michelle Waterson, Alexa Grasso, and uh, Janji Roba. So she's not... She has... It's tough. It's really tough for me. You could make the case that Carla Esparza deserves a title shot, and I won't push back too much based off what she's done winning five in a row and winning against the likes of some very talented fighters. And Shaunan is someone who is very highly touted. Rodriguez is someone who I have been very impressed with, and I think Rodriguez has shown a lot of improvement in her last two fights since her loss to Carla. Michelle Waterson, very impressive win. Alexa Grasso, Junji Roba, all good wins for Esparza. So I guess you could give this fight to Esparza. I think, you know what, I think that would make sense. Giving a title shot, Carla Esparza versus Rosanama Yunus. And then you have Wei Li versus Joanna. Fight for the net. Who is, gonna, who is uh, next in line? And then the UFC has been talking about Dern versus Rodriguez. That fight is not signed, but it is being talked about. So if you book Dern versus Rodriguez, you kind of have a little tournament playing out with one versus two. And then um, what I believe will be four versus six or four versus five when the rankings come out. And then three getting a title shot. And then that puts that puts the winner of Dern and Rodriguez in a good position to make a run. You could make the case that the winner could, you know, you'd really put yourself in a line for title fights. Because I don't see, out of those four names and five, if you count Carla, if you give Carla a title shot, obviously she would be out of it. But do you book, you know, seven is Nina Nunes. Dern just looked great against her. Claudia Gadella, who Yao Xiaonan just beat. Michelle Waterson, who Rodriguez just beat. Then you have Tisha Torres, Amanda Hibas. So it's kind of, I think it falls falls off. So you have to get the guy, the you have to get the people that we think are the best matched up against the best. And I think that would make the most sense. I kind of worked through it here with you. You saw my thought process on this. If you give Carla the the title fight and then book Whaley versus Joanna, number one contenders, and then. Dern versus Rodriguez, and they that's almost a number one contender, but you also have Whaley versus Joanna, so that would kind of be that would kind of be like a number two contender in a way. Because I don't want to see Dern versus 
because you would have to go down in the rankings, so you would have to give, like, Dern, maybe Yao Xiaonan. I mean, I, who knows how that would go. And then you have to give Marina Rodriguez, like, uh, Gadella or Nunez, and I don't think that is fair to either of them. Uh, just put them up against each other and have them square off there. So you saw my thought process on that. That's kind of how I got to that conclusion. So I think that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't, but I think that is how how the 115-pound division should be booked uh, going forward. And then the other fight that I want to talk about was Jack Hermanson versus Edmund Shabazian. I don't know why this fight opened the main card. doesn't really make sense. Um... Worst case scenario is the third fight down. That's why I'm talking about it in that place. Because it is an important fight for the middleweight division. You have Hermanson who is number 7. Versus Shabazian who is number 10. The biggest takeaway from me here. Is that Edmund Shabazian is improving. When you have a big time prospect like Shabazian. I always look for improvement. If you can improve. I'm always impressed. So. They give Shabazzian a big-time opportunity against Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson goes out there and controls the fight on the ground. Then, in the most recent fight Shabazzian has had, Hermanson, obviously, he goes out there and he showed a lot of improvement in terms of his ground abilities. In the first round, he never got taken down because he recognized how Hermanson gets takedowns, which is clinch work, and he was able to prevent clinch exchanges which thus prevented Hermanson from getting a takedown. So he was able to defend takedowns without ever having to defend a real takedown threat, which is something that I was very impressed with. Then in the second round, he got taken down and controlled, but he was able to reverse position in the second round. And then in the third round was a more dominant round for Hermanson. However, in the first two rounds, we saw some good signs of improvement from Chabazian. And Hermanson, Hermanson is no, Hermanson is a great grappler, so he's no, you know, layup at all, no matter what kind of fighter you are. We saw Vittori is fighting for the title now, and his most competitive fight as of late was against Hermanson. That fight was a war, and we had, there were many back and forth moments there, and Vittori was able to win that. But if you're not one of the best in the world, and Vittoria has proven he is, and that's why he's fighting for a title, obviously there's a couple other factors, but Vittoria's a top five guy, however you shake it. If you're not one of those top five guys, you won't beat Hermanson. And if you are one of those top five guys, you still might have a tough time beating Hermanson, and he might beat you. That's just how it goes with Hermanson, because he's that talented, he's a great grappler, very impressed by his performance, and Shabazian, I was impressed by his improvements, um, still flaws, but we saw the improvements that you look for. Now, what is next for Shabazian and Hermanson? Hermanson is in a tough spot because we just saw last week we talked about a lot of these bookings, and this this 185 pound division is pretty booked up. I mean, we have Costa Cannonier, Vittori Adesanya, Brunson Till, and the only unbooked guy ahead of Hermanson is going to be number one Whitaker. That fight won't happen because Whitaker is going to get the next title fight as long as he sits out. And then you have behind him, you have Uriah Hall at 8. And they're looking to book him, and I think it's official now, versus Sean Strickland, who's 11. And then you have Gastelum at 9, who Hermanson did beat a year and a half ago. Maybe a little less than a year, maybe around a year. But Hermanson submitted him in the first round. And then you have Shabazzian at 10. Just fought Shabazzian. Strickland, previously, we just talked about him. Weidman at 12. That fight's not going to happen for obvious reasons. And then you have Omari Akhmedov, Kevin Holland, and Brad Tavares. Brad Tavares, um, at that point, at that point when you're getting 7 and 13, not a great matchup. And these these matchups that we're seeing between these guys at 185 are booked for later in the year. A lot of September matches. I don't know the date on the Uriah Hall and Sean Strickland. I can try and find that. But I don't know the date off the top of my head because it was just announced. But other than that, 
A lot of those fights are happening late, late in the year. Well, not late, but you get what I'm saying. Several months down the road. And then by the time you give the fighter who just fought training camp recovery, Hermanson's, it's looking like he's either going to have to fight, you know, it's looking like he's going to have to fight late. He's going to have to take time off, which isn't great for him, but I think that's just the way that this one is going to have to go. Um, okay. So, okay. So Jack, er, excuse me, Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland is booked for UFC 265, which will take place on 8-7-21. That is August. Is that right? Am I an idiot or what? What's going on here? Um. Yeah, that's August, right? Yeah, that's August. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a minute down the road, and I thought they already had an August pay per view. All right, we'll worry about that later because that's not in really not that big of a deal right now. Those will get sorted out soon. Uh, that pay per view is actually looking pretty weak. I pulled up that uh, the UFC 265, and right now it's headlined by Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. And you've got main card fights of Uriah Hall, Sean Strickland, Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz. Uh, not great, not great, not great, not great, not great at all. Um, I think we're in an age now where if you have less than two title fights on a UFC pay-per-view, it's not great. And that's just based off of... You know, several factors that I don't want to get into right now because that's not what we're talking about. That is a good topic for when we have a week off with no fights. Um, I think that would be a good topic to talk about the UFC pay-per-view system. But that is going to get pushed down the road, and I'm not going to do that right now because that will be a wormhole, and that will be an hour-long discussion that is going to get off the rails and um, is going to get a little bit rambly. So I won't do that to you right now. Right now, we're going to move on to the other news section that we have here. The biggest, I shouldn't say the biggest piece of other news, a big piece of other news. Um, maybe I need to find a better name than other news. Um, news inside the UFC. Tony Ferguson is not retiring, which is really interesting to me because we have seen for um, several fights now, Tony Ferguson has not looked like himself. Last week, I talked a little bit about should Tony retire, and I was conflicted. Now, looking back, um, I think he needs to either retire, move to 170, or take big fights. What I mean by that is, you know, retire, obviously, you get that. Move to 170, um, I think the weight cut taking out a weight cut could help Tony kind of might help him look better because you never know what's happening with uh with a weight cut and I think he cuts a lot of weight right now so I think a no weight cut could possibly help see help you see an improvement in form from Tony Ferguson in big fights Tony Ferguson no matter what Tony Ferguson do or excuse me no matter what Tony Ferguson does he shouldn't book another fight until we get to see Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards because two reasons first reason if Nate Diaz loses Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz is a very real possibility and in fact Tony should probably wait until after Connor versus Poirier because the names that Connor or the names that Tony can fight if Connor beats Poirier, or if Connor loses to Poirier, excuse me, if Connor loses to Poirier, we're going to be sitting here saying, I don't know if I'll be saying it, but you'll be hearing that Connor is washed. So maybe people would be calling for a Connor versus Tony fight, saying that they're both, both washed and the loser retires type deal. And that would be a big opportunity for Tony to fight Connor. Obviously, Connor's a big pay per view draw. That's big money, that's a big opportunity. And then if Connor wins and Nate Diaz loses, then you're in a situation where you have 
Nate is looking for a fight. And in that situation, it would be the same type deal. People would be saying Nate's washed. People are already saying Nate's washed. So I think Tony versus Nate would make a lot of sense in that situation for the same reason uh, fighting Connor after a Connor loss would. However, if Connor loses and Nate loses, we're probably going to see Connor versus Nate 3. I imagine um, that's just what's looking like it's going to be the the most possible scenario if they both lose. But the one the one thing that that would bring and another name that is important important and another name as to why you need to wait after Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz is Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz versus Tony Ferguson makes a lot of sense to me. Um, a lot of people are saying that uh, Nick shouldn't be returning. A lot of people want to see Nick return. And Tony hasn't looked great in his last couple fights. So throwing Nick and Tony in there against each other, if Nick can't beat Tony, then he shouldn't have returned based off what the, we've seen from Tony recently. And if Tony is able to go in there and beat Nate or Nick, excuse me, um, he he gets himself a big fight and he gets a big win in that big fight. Obviously, I'm saying for that fight that would take place at 170, and I think that would be a good fallback. And the reason you have to wait until after Nate and Leon to make that fight is because Nick and Nate have the same manager, and they pretty much said, "Hey, we're not booking Nick until after Nate fights." So, um. That is why you have to wait. You have to wait to get Nick or wait to get Nate. You might as well wait the extra month to see if you can get Connor. But those are the three names that really, really stick out to me. Because I don't want to see, if you're just looking at 155, you're going to have Tony versus someone like Islam, Tony versus someone like Gregor Gillespie, Diego Fajeda. Take it at 170, you're going to be seeing something like Jorge, I think Jorge would do bad things to Tony right now. Kiesa, Luque, Maya, uh, not Maya, Maya's retiring. Neil, those I don't like. I'm not a fan of Tony's odds in all those fights. So I think we need to see big fights for Tony or no fights. I started this off by saying 170 was an option. Looking at 170, maybe give it one go, but I'm not overly bullish on the idea of Tony at 170. I don't like a lot of those matchups because if you can't beat Benil Daryush, are you going to beat Neil Magny? Because Neil Magny is going to have a similar approach to that fight as Benil Daryush did. But, you know, Neil's a little bit longer and you might have more struggles with the length there, you know. Are you going to beat Jeff Neal if you're Tony? You know, Tony's going to come, or Neal's going to come out and box very well. Uh, we saw that that has been one of his flaws, is his defensive striking ability. Same if you're fighting, you know, Sean Brady. Sean Brady's a great up-and-comer. That's a tough fight for Tony, and... John Brady's a big guy. You're going to run into big, big guys at 170. One interesting name at 170 is Robbie Lawler. That would make sense if he moves to 170. I think Robbie's the way to go. Now, um, another big news. Some Another piece of big news coming out of the 170-pound division. Kevin Lee is moving up to fight Sean Brady. And that, well... I should say Kevin Lee is moving up to 170, and he was booked against Sean Brady. That, if you get the difference in what I'm saying, you know, Kevin Lee decided to move up and then decided to fight Sean Brady. He didn't decide to fight Sean Brady and then had to move up because he was fighting Sean Brady. I really like this fight. I really do. Kevin Lee is such a talented guy who's been out for a minute. He has beat big-time names. He's beat Barbosa. He's beat... Um, just beat Gregor Gillespie, who has looked very good. Sean Brady's a big-time up-and-comer. So for both these guys, Kevin Lee has the opportunity to prove he's still an elite fighter, and he doesn't have to worry about that weight cut because I know that was a bad weight cut for him. And for Sean Brady, he has an opportunity to get a win over a highly respected Kevin Lee. So I think this is a best-case scenario for both those guys, and I'm very happy that they booked this fight. 
I mean, there really isn't much for me to say here. That's pretty much my opinion on this one. Moving on, another piece of big news is Tati, uh, and also also another uh, weight change is that we are going to see Tatiana Suarez return. She wants to return, I believe it was September, September, November, August, that range, October as well. Um, skipped a month in there. Um, but she's moved, she's returning to 125. I am mixed on this change because on one hand, selfishly, very selfishly, we just talked about how 115 was super open and how we need guys or we need girls to book Dern and Rodriguez and Jaunan and Esparza against, I think, Tatiana Suarez against one of those fighters. Give me Dern versus Suarez. That's a fun fight. Rodriguez versus Suarez. Fun fight. Um, Esparza versus Suarez. Um, that'd be a great grappling exchange exchanges in that one. And Tatiana Suarez has fought some of these fights. Um, you know, she is very experienced against the top fighters in the world, but she has had to take a long period of time off. And I think her inclusion at 155 pounds, yeah, she's already fought Esparza. And one via ground pound, which is very impressive. Um, that was several years ago. What year was that? That was in 2018. And then she didn't fight again until 2019. And since that 2019 fight, she has not fought. Now, Tatiana Suarez is someone who can really, really be impactful at 115. However, on the other hand, she's moving to 125. And 125 is in a tough situation because we don't have a lot of challengers at 125. I think that for Tatiana Suarez, moving to 125 gets her a title opportunity sooner. But I think moving to 125 decreases the chances of her becoming champion and that's not a knock on Tatiana that is just based off how talented Valentina Shevchenko is I like I like or excuse me I like Tatiana's chances against the top five at 125 a lot more than I like her chances against the top five at 115 so um book her against anyone really anyone whether it's Andrade Chukagian Lauren Murphy Jennifer Maya Calvillo, she deserves a top five opponent in her return. Um, maybe she doesn't want a top five in her return, just based off the fact that, you know, maybe she wants to get someone who's not as great in her return so that she can kind of um, ease back in. I don't know exactly what she wants. I don't know if she said what she wanted. I don't know if that information is out there. But if she wants a top five opponent in her return, give her a top five opponent, she deserves it. And she would be... A very tough matchup for all those guys at the top of 125. Especially for the likes of Chukagian, for example. Chukagian versus Suarez. You know, Chukagian is going to have a tough time with Suarez's wrestling. So that's just something to think about. And I'm happy that she's returning. And I'm excited to see Tatiana Suarez back in the octagon. And then the last fight announcement for today is Jose Aldo versus Pedro Munoz. I already said this earlier, but um, I just wanted to touch on it again in the news section. This fight was booked for UFC 265 on August 7th. This fight is going to be very important in the landscape of the bantamweight division because the winner is going to get a big opportunity. They're probably going to get a top five opponent, the winner will. Will it be Garbrandt? Will it be Font? Will it be um, the loser of Dillashaw versus Sandhagen? Probably not, but maybe. And outside of, you know, pure, um, outside of pure importance, this fight is going to be a fun fight. I mean, Aldo versus Munhouse. Munhouse's last fight against Rivera was incredible. Aldo, historically, is a very fun fighter to watch. I'll never miss a Jose Aldo fight, or a, I'll never miss a Jose Aldo fight from here to the end of his career. So, probably the same with Pedro Munoz. Um, that's pretty much all I had on that. Um, and speaking, all these uh, news pieces are just kind of tied in together. Paul Felder is retiring. This is probably the biggest piece of news um, 
talking about it last, last but not least, Pelfelder is retiring. Um, I like this move because it seems like Paul doesn't want to fight anymore. And I'm not saying that, once again, as a diss on Paul. I make that disclaimer a lot, by the way. Um, I just don't want people to think I'm hating on fighters when I'm not. Um, if Paul doesn't want to fight, don't fight. And he said he doesn't have that desire, and he doesn't have that desire to become a champion. And he has a good career ahead of him in broadcasting. So, for Paul, there's no reason to go in there and fight. He retired against Hooker, and they ended up coming back to fight RDA on short notice, 25 pounds in, what, five days. So, Paul Felder is, Paul Felder is an absolute legend. Very entertaining fighter. He is the, he is a P example of a BMF. He will, in his prime, he would never say no to a matchup. And Paul Felder is going down as one of my favorite fighters. And I think that same sentiment um, would apply for many other people outside of myself. So Paul Felder, great career. I'm glad that he. This isn't the thing where we're gonna see Paul Felder retire, then we're never gonna hear from again from him again. This is, you know, we're still gonna see Paul Felder on broadcast for the UFC. So, well, we won't see him fight in the octagon. We will have no shortage of Paul Felder, and that is something that I am happy about, and I think once again that many people are happy about. So, kind of a Saturn out there, but we're moving on to next week's card. Jarzinho Rosenstrike versus Augusto Sakai. This is not the best main event. A lot of people don't like heavyweight main events, and I get it. It's tough for heavyweights to go five rounds, especially guys who aren't, you know. I think every heavyweight has troubles going five rounds. I think the only guy who you could say otherwise is probably Stipe. I think Stipe has proven five-round cardio. And there's other guys, you know, I'm not just saying Stipe. But, you know, even these top guys at heavyweight, Blades, you know, slowed down a little bit at the end of the Volkov fight in the fifth round. Um, Derek Lewis, very, very, um, very, I don't want to say poor cardio. Derek Lewis has been criticized greatly for his cardio. I think that's the best way to word that. Surreal Gan is someone who cardio, I mean, we haven't really seen him go deep into five-round fights. Rosenstrike has been in a five-round fight, and he he did get knocked out, but or he did win by knockout, but he didn't have the most impressive performance. Low action. So this fight is I don't know. I don't know how to break down this fight. I don't. Rosenstrike is a great kickboxer, but he's on a little bit of a skid here. Um, I think Jorginho Rosenstrike has all the talent to beat Augusto Sakai. The question is, is he going to do it? Um, I think he. I think Rosenstrike has been criticized to the point where we'll see changes because he was criticized in many of his several last performances. He was criticized against Gan. He was criticized against. Um, what did he fight before that? Drawing a blank on that. My bad. But he has been criticized for lack of, you know, output. And that's a shame because you don't. You can't really do much at heavyweight in terms of output. So, I mean, you can't. You can't burn yourself out. And both these guys are. You know, you know, I don't know how to, it's just both these guys are Augusto Sakai. They have low loss totals, have won a lot of fights. I mean, Sakai's got wins over Tabora, Andre Arlovsky, Jay Sherman, um, Ivanov, Jarzinho Rosenstrike has wins against Dos Santos, Overeem. Orlovsky, and then Crowder. With that being said, in their last couple of fights, they've both we've seen slips from both of these guys. 
I mean, that Alistair Overeem performance by Augusto Sakai, Augusto Sakai wasn't overly impressive. He lost that fight, so it wasn't impressive. And it, there wasn't much to take away from that fight. Surreal Gan beat Jairzinho. You know, Jairzinho got knocked out by Francis. Not going to hold that against him. So these guys have been, seen slip-ups. And the question for this card is who's going to come Who's going to come back? Um, I think it's going to be Jairzinho. And not really any reason behind that. So I, I might watch some tape on these guys and post a more formal um, prediction on TikTok. But as of right now, I'm leaning Jairzinho. And I think the difference of who Jairzinho has been in there with is going to be very impactful here in terms of, you know, he's been in there with straight killers, and Augusto Sakai's been in there with Alistair Overeem. Don't get it wrong, Overeem's a killer, but Rosenstrike has been in there with JDS, Gan, you know, and Ganu. So I lean, I, I'm leaning to Rosenstrike, and I like Rosenstrike's striking as well. I like the way he kicks legs and um, is, is able to counter, so. But we'll see how this fight goes. We also have a heavyweight Coleman event. Marcin Tabura versus Walt Harris. I love Walt Harris. I really do. But this is a bad matchup for him with Tabura. Tabura has looked very good in his last couple. And Walt Harris has not, unfortunately. And as much as I love Walt Harris, I'm leaning Tabura here. Um, and, you know, that's just... Just the way I'm leaning, I guess. I mean, there isn't. I I think the grappling here is going to play a big difference. So, I think we'll just leave it at that. And there isn't there isn't too much to say for Walt for Walt Harris versus Tabora because I think uh, you know Walt Harris is a very good striker, but you know we he, he's lost his last guy. He's lost to Volkov and Overeem. Those fights took place on the feet. Tabora, on the other hand, has been more impressive. Beat Greg Hardy, beat Ben Rothwell. You know, those aren't necessarily great wins, but the way he beat them was through grappling, and I think that is I think that is his path to victory in this one. So that is just my thought process as of now. And then we have some fun fights on the main card. Tom Breeze is back. Always fun fights. He's fighting Antonio Arroyo. Roman Dolice is fighting Lorenzo Strapoli. Um, Dolice is Dolice and Breeze are two guys at middleweight who, if they can make a statement, they can get themselves someone in the top fifteen to fight next. Breeze has that has gotten that opportunity, but he's lost. But he's not far outside those rankings at middleweight. But I think the fight that I'm most excited for is Miguel Baeza versus Santiago Panzanibio. Panzanibio was someone who didn't look great in his return, looked great in his fights prior to his injury. Baeza is someone who, one of my personal favorite prospects, uh, based off skill. I was very impressed with some of his most, most recent performances. And I'm excited for Baeza to finally get an opportunity here. I didn't expect this opportunity to come against Panzanibio this early. I thought he was going to have to beat a couple more guys before he got a ranked guy or a big name. But for Baeza to get this opportunity now, I'm very excited, and I will be tuned in for that fight. And I'm very, very excited here for this one. On the prelims, we've got Makwan Amirakani. He was supposed to fight Nate Landwehr, but Landwehr is is out of that fight. They haven't gotten someone against or they haven't gotten someone for Makwan to fight. Um hopefully they can do that cuz Makwan being on this card helps the prelims a lot. Um Tanner Bozer versus Latifi is a good fight. Latifi obviously has fought some very good competition and he's always an interesting guy to watch at heavyweight cuz he's so short. I'd like to see him fight at heavyweight just to see how he you know, how he goes around with that uh, little weight disadvantage that he has. And then we have Francisco Trinaldo 
versus Muslim. This this is an interesting fight too. Um, Trinaldo is very good, and this is another fight at welterweight that is going to be important down the road. Alan Patrick versus Mason Jones. Mason Jones at welterweight is very interesting. Uh, he's a very good prospect who lost his first fight, but it was a fight of the night. Mason go- Mason Jones goes out there, gets in wars, absolute wars. So if he can pull off another fight like his fight against Mike Davis but come out on top, he's going to gain fans and he's going to move his career forward. Mason Jones is a can't-miss fighter, and I'm excited that he is uh, – I'm excited that he's making his return, and I'm surprised he's returning this er, returning this early. And then the first fight on the card, Manan Firat versus Marana Morez. Firat is a very, very good striker for the women's flyweight division, and she is a top prospect in all of women's MMA, in my opinion. And this card, as an overall, not great. There isn't much star power. But I think there's a lot of interesting names that I want to see fight here. Breeze, Panzanibio, Delice, Baeza. And that's just on the main card. Makwan Americani. I mean, Bozer, Latifi. Trinaldo, Mason Jones. You know, this is a this is a very good card in terms of depth. If you were to take, you know... In terms of marquee fights, not great. I mean, if you're comparing prelims, this week's prelims, in my opinion, is better than last week's prelims. You know, a lot of fun fights here. And this card this card is for a hardcore MMA fan who knows these guys that I'm talking about and wants to see the future of the UFC. Because I think this card is going to age very well for a lot of these guys on here. I think a lot of these fighters are going to have long and great careers. And I think that um, I think we're getting a look in on some very impressive fighters. It might not have the best main event. However, we have we have some some great fights here and Miss Opportunity, I think Hermanson versus Shabazian should have been on this card. A little bit of a weaker card in comparison to Font versus Garbrandt, that's just a little, uh, little, little, little uh, thing I have. And now we're only two weeks away from the June twelfth UFC two sixty three pay per view, and so we might be a little, little light this week. That, that, however, but moving forward, fun pay per view coming up in two weeks. So I am very excited, and thank you for sitting here with me. Will I talk through some of this stuff? And thank you for listening to the Head KO podcast. If you ex- if you enjoyed, make sure to subscribe. If you didn't, I don't know why you're still here listening. If you didn't enjoy, so go ahead, like the video, subscribe for me, and make sure you come back next week for the next episode of the Head KO podcast, where we where we will break down the the big card of. Jarzinia Rosenstrike versus Augusto Sakai. And then we will look forward to the UFC 263 pay-per-view. And we will touch base on any other news that caught my eye throughout the week. So thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast.